0: Hello, and welcome to Harlan First and Monroe Chapel United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew, and it's great to have you tuning in. Today we are wrapping up our series of sermons looking at the controversial writings of the Apostle Paul. Paul is considered to be one of the most influential people in Christian history, second only to Jesus. His writings have inspired many throughout the generations— Things like 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, is read at many, many weddings. And in chapter 15 of his letter to the Corinthians, uh, where he talks about the resurrection, we read that oftentimes at funerals, where it says that this mortal body must put on immortality. This perishable body must put on imperishability. So his writings have been an inspiration to many people, but they have also been a source of great headaches for many people. As we've looked in this series, we've seen that Paul sometimes loses his temper. Oftentimes his writings are misunderstood, and sometimes his writings are even used to hurt other people. Now today we're going to finish up by looking at Paul's view of the government, uh, what he thought about the relationship between Christians and the government, or at least the first-century Roman government. In particular, we're looking at Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Now, you may or may not be familiar with Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, but you've probably heard it at least referenced a time or two, because it's been referenced numerous times recently in our society. One of the most high-profile cases in which Romans 13 has been mentioned was a couple of years ago when the Attorney General at the time, Jeff Sessions, used Romans 13 to justify why it was okay for the government to separate refugee children from their parents indefinitely and then to put them in cages. Now, regardless of where you're at politically, uh, what, whoever it is that may be using Romans 13, one thing that we want to keep in mind is that the Bible was written largely by people who were oppressed by their governments or persecuted by their governments. And so it always raises a red flag, no matter where the person is on the political spectrum. It should always raise a red flag whenever somebody in a government uses the writings of an oppressed people group to justify something that the government is trying to do. But this is not the only time Romans 13 has been used. During the time of the American Revolution, loyalists who believed that that the American colonies should not fight for independence, loyalists used Romans 13 to say that they shouldn't fight to overthrow the government. Revolutionaries, on the other hand, believed and used Romans 13 to argue that only just governments are instituted by God and therefore they need to create their own just government. During the Civil War, pro-slavery advocates would use Romans 13 to argue that when a slave would run away and go to the North, people in the North should return the slaves. During the Civil Rights Movement, Martin Luther King Jr. used Romans 13 to argue that we should obey just laws, but we are not obligated to obey unjust laws. So there's a wide variety of people throughout our history who've used Romans 13 to argue their case. So what's in there? What does Romans 13 actually say? Well, basically, what it is saying, according to our English translations, what it says is that that Christians should be subject to the governing authorities or the rulers because, after all, the governing authorities are instituted by God. So when somebody fights against the government, they're not fighting against the government. They're fighting against God. Paul says, if you do right, you have no need to worry about being punished because you will be rewarded for doing good. But if you do something wrong, watch out because the government carries the sword of God or the wrath of God as God's servant to punish evil. So that sounds pretty clear. I mean, that sounds pretty cut and dry. It it appears as though Paul is giving the government a blank check to do whatever, whatever they want. But is that really what he's trying to say? This is the argument many people make when they use it, but one thing that we have seen throughout this series is that there's oftentimes more than meets the eye. Oftentimes we don't know the whole story when we think we do. There's some context missing and assumptions because Paul lived in a very different world than we do. So let's look at what's going on, because if we want to understand Romans 13, we really need to know the political realities of the time. And one thing that we know from Romans 13, during the time of Paul, when he would have written this, is that it was a time of great political turmoil. One to 200 years before Paul's time, there was a Jewish family known as the Maccabees who led a revolt against the Greeks who were oppressing them at the time. And they were actually pretty successful. The Maccabean revolt resulted in Jewish independence for a hundred years. I mean, that's a big deal. They were independent until Rome came in and took over. And so for many people living in Paul's time, they would have either, maybe there would be some older individuals who would still remember some of that time of independence, Otherwise, people might uh, hear stories. They might have heard stories about that time of independence. So that would have been fresh on their minds. Kind of like how we hear stories about people living through the Depression. And maybe there are a few people who are, still remember that. But for most of us, we hear stories. So it's a faint memory. Same thing with the 1918 flu pandemic. It's a faint memory based on stories that we hear from other people. So in Paul's day... These these memories, these ideas would have been fresh in his mind. And in addition to that, you have the rise of the Jewish zealots, which are Jewish people who believed that violent revolution was the answer, just as the Maccabean family successfully revolted against the Greeks. So they believed that the Jews should violently revolt against the Romans to achieve independence once again. So we've got all this going on in Paul's day. In addition, about a decade before many scholars believe the letter to the Romans was written, there were people who were expelled from Rome because there were tensions between the Jews and Rome. About a decade after the letter to the Romans was written, the zealots would launch a major attack on Rome, A major war ensued in 66 A.D. that resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in about 70 A.D. after a long siege. So this is a very divisive time that Paul is writing. And it's in this context that he writes Romans 13. He's telling people, be subject to the authorities. Try to live in harmony with all people. Uh, Basically, don't rock the boat He's trying to dissuade the nationalists and the revolutionaries from acting in violence against Rome. He's arguing that they should not fight for revolution. They should not fight for freedom. Instead, they should be subject to the governing authorities. Now, as Americans, this is hard for us to hear because, after all, revolution is in our blood, right? I mean, this is how we came to be as a nation. And this is not to say anything about what our nation should do or should have done but it's just a different context so it's hard for us to hear that but really what paul was doing he's he was simply echoing the teachings of jesus who argued that violence was never the answer in fact in particular when it came to rome jesus argued against violently attacking or uprising against rome when jesus said things like turn the other cheek or love your enemy or When a Roman centurion asks you to carry their stuff for a mile, carry it an extra mile, there's no other way for them to hear this other than to assume that he's talking about Rome. You see, Jesus was not the Messiah they wanted. Jesus was not the violent revolutionary who was going to lead them to political freedom. He was not a strong man who was going to fight for their rights. Instead, he encouraged them to get along and to seek for the blessing of everyone. And so that may be hard for us to hear, but it actually just echoes the teachings of Jesus. You see, one thing we have to understand is that in the early church, and when I say early church, I mean the first 300 years before they made a deal with the Emperor Constantine. In the early church, the state was viewed as being kind of an adversary. Before we invented the separation of church and state, Church and state were completely separate entities, even more than they are now, before Constantine in the 4th century. So for the first 300-400 years, uh, there was a separation of church and state. Christians believed that they were citizens of the kingdom of God, which is a much more vast and expansive kingdom than any other kingdom of the world, especially Rome. And Christians had no desire to have any political influence or any relations whatsoever with the state. They were against any military involvement or any government-sanctioned violence. And in fact, they were so strict on this that if somebody held public office and then they decided that they wanted to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus— They had to resign from public office, otherwise they could not receive communion and were disqualified from baptism. In other words, it's either or. You have to choose. You know, you cannot serve both Christ and the world, they argued. And so they believed that the government had very different ideals and goals than the kingdom of God, and the two were not compatible. In addition, Paul was living under the reign of the emperor Nero. Nero was one of the worst rulers of all time. Yes, even taking into account other rulers that we know of in our own history who are pretty bad. But Nero ranks up there. He was a madman, literally. He would impale Christians on poles that were in his yard and then light their bodies on fire to light up his yard. He would throw them to the lions. At one time, there was a fire in Rome that burned down a significant portion of the city. Some people blamed Nero and thought that he uh, set the fire in order to appear to be a hero. Nero, in turn, placed the blame on the Christians and a great persecution broke out. Tradition has it that Paul and many of the uh, disciples, the apostles, were killed during Nero's reign. And interestingly enough, in Revelation, when it talks about the Antichrist, and it talks about how the reader should know who this is because the person's name uh, is represented by the number 666. Well, that's Nero. Nero is represented by the number 666. That's who they were talking about. And so it's in this context that Paul is writing Romans 13. And as we look at the wider context of the scripture, when we look at chapter 12, right before Romans 13, we see Paul talking about following the law of Christ, you know, living in harmony with everyone as much as possible. When somebody commits an evil against you, he writes, do not seek revenge, but instead love your enemies. You know, basic Jesus stuff. And then he writes, Romans 13, be subject to the authorities. In other words, live at peace as much as possible with the government. Um, but I don't think that Paul was giving the government a blank check to do whatever they want. I don't think that Paul was saying that a government could be justified in anything. In fact, a close readings of Roman 13, Romans 13 uh, could lead you to believe that what Paul was saying is that when governments are just, they are instituted by God. In other words, when they reward good, and punish evil. They are just governments because they're seeking justice. But not all governments are that way, and there's no doubt that Paul viewed Rome as a corrupt government. We know that uh, Paul and Christians certainly didn't just obey the authorities whenever they wanted. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles are routinely, not just in Acts chapter 5, but In Acts chapter 5 in particular, we read about how the apostles were disregarding the instructions of the authorities not to preach in Jesus' name. And when they were called forth to account for it, they said, we have to obey God rather than men. We see this all over the Bible. For instance, in Genesis, we see the Hebrew midwives when the Pharaoh tells them, that they need to kill any Hebrew baby boy that's born, they refuse. The Apostle Paul himself was imprisoned several times by the state and ultimately was executed by the state. So it's not as though Paul advocated submitting to the authorities in all things. I think that what he wrote and what he modeled is that Christians should seek to live in harmony with all as much as possible, be subject to the authorities, And obey the governments when the rules are just. But when they are unjust, you have to obey God rather than men. But at the same time, when you do that, you also have to be willing to submit to whatever punishment the government may have for breaking their unjust law. And they modeled this. I mean, Jesus modeled this, being crucified on the cross. Paul modeled this. Many of the disciples modeled this. So, What about our government today? Our government today, of course, is very different than Rome. In many ways, it's very similar to Rome as well, but very different. It's much easier for us to be involved in all different levels of the government, from the local level to the national level. And it's hard to say what Paul would write today about Christians' relationship to our government I don't think that in Romans 13 he was giving a blanket statement for how Christians should relate to all forms of governments in all times and all places. He was speaking about Rome. And so I don't think it's as simple as cutting and pasting Romans 13 onto our current situation. So what should our relationship with the government be? Well, as I said, I don't know for sure what Paul would say But I personally believe that it's okay for us to hold public office. I think it's okay for us to get involved in different levels of the government as we feel called. I think it's okay to advocate for change. I think it's okay to work towards laws that help the vulnerable and those who cannot help themselves. I think that it's it's fine for us and, in fact, important for us to vote. I think that these things are important. I also believe that when we feel that the government is being unjust that it's okay to criticize and to protest. Although I will say that violence is never the answer, as Jesus himself taught, and violence is never the way to seek change. However, I I don't see anything wrong with peaceful protest or civil disobedience. Uh, What uh, the civil rights movement modeled with Martin Luther King Jr. is very much similar to what we see with Jesus and Paul and others. In the Bible, seeking to obey the just laws, protesting against the unjust ones, and then accepting whatever persecution or punishment comes their way as a result, but not engaging in violence. So I I think that these things are fine. I think these things are important to do. But you know what I, I think our biggest, most important role as Christians during our particular time in America is? I think that our most important role is to be peacemakers, to be bridge builders. You know, we are so divided right now in America, in many different ways, on many different subjects, and that's why it's important that we, as Christians, try not to fall into being divisive. It's so tempting. It is so tempting, but we need to try, and I know none of us are perfect, but we want to try not to get into that divisiveness. We want to try to work towards bridge-building and peacemaking as much as possible, as the Apostle Paul says, to live in harmony with everyone as much as it's possible. And we want to seek to do that. But as we work towards peacemaking and bridge-building, hear me when I say that that does not mean that we should ignore the problems that we have in our society or pretend that they don't exist or pretend that they're not as bad as some people think they are. Instead, we need to, as a part of our peacemaking and bridge building, we need to be willing to listen to those who are protesting. We need to be willing to listen to people who say there's a big problem, even if we ourselves don't experience it firsthand. The first step towards bridge building is looking at our wounds as a society and being honest about them, because only then can we work towards creating real, lasting peace because we're better together. And so we want to seek to build those bridges rather than to seed division. Anybody, whenever anybody seeks to cause division, they are not working in the spirit of Christ. Because Christ said, blessed are the peacemakers. And so may we, as we continue in this very divided time, And in the midst of an election year, may we continue to be peacemakers and bridge builders. May we seek to live in harmony with all as much as possible. May we be subject to the authorities while realizing that that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And may we realize that the ideals and goals of the government and of the kingdom of God are not always the same. Sometimes they may overlap, but they are not the same. So may we be subject to the authorities while realizing at the same time that when the two conflict, that we must obey God rather than men. But may we seek to build bridges and to be at peace with all as much as is within our power. Amen. God bless and have a great week.